Hello guys and gals, how you doing? Today I'll be talking about an awesome way to start your free podcast, and I mean free, no catch, no gimmicks. It's totally free, easy to edit, easy to record, and easy to promote and monetize your podcast. It's called Anchor.fm, and I highly recommend you guys and gals, check it out, and start your own podcast, let your voice be heard. And also, don't forget to listen to Wild Dog Podcasts, and tell them that I sent you and that you hear it from me. So you get more people to join Anchor.fm. You will not be disappointed because they will also put your podcast in other platforms and then make it very, very much easier for you. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, guys. What's up? Um, been a long time, though, but finally I get to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Even though I had this in my collection for a long time, it's just I never have a chance to get around to it until now. Um, this is definitely an underrated movie. I mean, even though it's popular, a lot of people know about it, but it's like a lot of people don't want to acknowledge it for some reason. There are, pe- there are people that like it. There are people that don't like it. Now, speaking for me, I like this movie. I really did. Even when I was a kid growing up, I remember the cover for this, which is this cover. But for some reason, wasn't there like a whale guy in a wolf mask in the front cover of this um, video cassette box? Because I remember seeing that. But then when I saw the movie, I said, where's the wolf mask guy? I could be wrong, but if you guys can help me out, let me know. But, all in all, this is like a, supposed to be the sequel to Texas Chainsaw. And I found out Toby Hooper did directed this. And first of all, I like the soundtrack for this, by the soundtrack for this, by the way. And um, then we start out with these two two guys partying, making calls at the radio station. Um, the, this truck follows these two guys, and another face pop out, killing the two guys. The radio DJ listens to the phone call and had a tape recording of the um, killing on the tape. Then you got Dennis Hopper character, who's like a sheriff-like, trying to investigate the murder, and he knows it's like the things of killing. And then he wants to go after these guys. And then one day, the, lady, the radio DJ lady knocked on the guy's door and tell her, hey, I got the evidence on tape. And the guy didn't want to listen to it at first, and then he, later on, he comes by, said he wants to listen to it. You know, he wants to play it on the radio. So he can set a trap for the killers. If they listen to it, they can go go after her, and he can follow them pretty much. Which, later on in the movie, you'll see that. Um, the, the DVD I got has deleted scenes, by the way, which you can see more kills in this movie, by the way. But, um... Oh, the blood and gore is pretty good in this movie, believe it or not. And I like how when the, the guy with the plate and the leather face came to the radio station, they killed the one of the radio radio, radio broadcaster guy, and they were trying to, and they were going after the woman. But when they was going after the woman, this is when um, excuse me, I should rephrase that they're going after the woman. She locked us in the metal door, and that's when her partner, the radio guy, comes in with the coffee. And then he being jumped by Bill Mosley character, Chop Chop, I think, with the metal plate and the Leatherface hoped out, you know, killing him and stuff. While Leatherface went back going after the lady, he broke through the wall and then he's wrecking stuff in the radio station. And then he's looking at the lady like, you know, sexual aroused by it when he, when he wanted to kill her, but then he ended up looking at how pretty she was. Put the chainsaw between her legs, like, like, like sliding like between her legs, kind of licking his tongue. He get all excited. He's uh, wrecking the place apart and he let the lady live like he didn't want to kill her. So I guess Leatherface had a heart. Yeah, somewhat of a heart. 
And then, um, the lady decided, well, while they killed her radio partner, decided to leave. And, um, another face, um, face, um, brother, I would say, probably his brother, telling him that he, he told, he pretty much, like, lied to the guy, said, yeah, he did kill her. And they drove off with the dead body. And then Caroline Rose character, you know, the lady, Rady DJ, ended up following him, following them. I'm like, shit, shit, ain't you scared? So anyway, she follows them to this playland, like this amusement thing called like Texas Battlefield or Texas Battlelands or something, which is a good hideout, by the way, I would say. And then later you find out that the leader of this crazy capitalistic family was the guy who won the chili contest, you know, as Calvin Wolf's character was like caught by the corner as, um, you know, but before she, when she was running, you know, this Hopper's character kind of followed her and admitted it was like a trap and stuff. And then she fell down the pit while he was trying to save her. So then there's a hopper cat that going inside um amusement going after the Kamalistic family with his with his two his chainsaws, two chainsaw and his big chainsaw. It's just funny, man. This whole whole movie is kinda of funny to be honest with you. Even though it's horrible, but it was kinda of funny because it's like I like how Bill Mosley character Chop Chop was acting, you know. Just, to me he like more of a leader than the little face character. Same with part four. A lot of people didn't like part four. I didn't like part four because of Matthew McConaughey. And that's the thing is like Matthew McConaughey was a leader while while like in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre one and three it was like Leatherface was more of a leader it was more of a standout character and this is my opinion by the way you know part two Leatherface had a big role but I just felt like Chop Chop took that whole movie away from Leatherface you know even at the ending it was Chop Chop who's taking over I mean come on but anyway while Cal Wong's house is underground and amusement. She she was captured, you know, she saw how crazy the family is. She was able to fight them off, you know. Then his house captain came in saving her. He was finding another face on a one-on-one battle with a chainsaw battle, you know, fighting off the cannibalistic family, you know. And then later on you get Caroline Williams counter, the radio DJ, climbing up in the final battle against Chop Chop, you know, and then you saw like this big old on the top of the amusement park, you got like, this big old dead body, supposed to be the grandmother of the family, and it was a chainsaw, and um, you get this epic ending when she was able to battle off the villains, and I liked how it ended with her, like, holding up the chainsaw, going all ballistic and crazy, because, you know, she, she been, she been, she been too much in her head, you know, it's like, you know, this whole shit is a fucking mess, I'm, I'm pissed off, you know, start screaming and yelling, I kind of like that ending, you know, I found it seems pretty cool, but this whole movie to me was actually good, I did enjoy it. You know, um, as for the special feature, I wish they could put some high definition on the deleted scenes, you know, make it more clever, you know. Um, I've never seen the Blu-ray. I don't know if the Blu-ray had any features, but I heard it, does, it doesn't have no features. So I think I'll stick with my DVD, regular DVD one that, that I brought. Easter eggs in this. I don't know what's going on, but I'll still search around for it. But this is truly the uncut version. Um, this is a, another story of a horror movie. And let me just say one more time this is getting a remake right now. So, most likely next year it should be out. Hopefully, we get a US release for the for the remake too. Um, I like this movie actually. Um, it's 1 hour and 52 minutes. 
it's pretty long, but it does keep you like set down more aware. Uh, and this is like maybe I would say the male version of Carrie. And I know a lot of people want, want like fast paced horror, but this movie is mostly more built up on character, I would say, of Patrick and how he's obsessed with this nurse who's taking care of him. And he's like pretty much like, like mentally, he's like a, like a spiritual, spiritual form, like while he's in a coma in the bed, using his powers, like hurting people around her or harassing people around her or harassing her too. And um, you have like an origin story how Patrick killed his own mom and killed this man that's being his mom and then he's in a coma I guess because of the water and electricity. But besides that, after that you just got him in a coma state and the story begins with the nurse taking care of him. And you know like I just mentioned, he's just pretty much harassing people um, and then the woman's not wondering what's going on and then later on she finds that she could contact Patrick through a typewriter. And Patrick's talking through a typewriter. She's telling the nurse it's the doctor. And like the older nurse didn't want to believe her, you know. And then as the story builds up, Patrick starts getting start killing people, you know, who's gonna harm him. Um, the doctor's doing experiments on him and um he wants to get his revenge on the doctor too as it builds up. And, you know, he starts like making threats towards the woman, the nurse that he likes, he's like obsessed with her. And he thinks he can have her, but he really can't have her anyway. And the woman also has her own issues. She got a conflict with her ex-husband. Um, she's trying to start a relationship with this doc male doctor she met up with. You know, like trying to hook up. You know, having fun. You know, like you know, trying to have trying to have fun with her life or trying to move on with her life at the same time. So you got a woman with her own issues, but Patrick's like pretty much obsessed. There was one scene when. But she found out that Patrick can contact she like Patrick could actually communicate with her. So she says, hey, can you feel this? Can you feel this? And then she ended up feeling Patrick's penis and the older nurse caught her. I just thought, thought that scene was crazy. I was like, oh shit. You know? And um but the actor who plays Patrick, I mean he doesn't really have words. He's just like spit like spit twice. You know, like communicate. But it's just his emotions and stuff, the way the actor portrays Patrick's like like wow, he just can't kiss his eyes just like that. But it was one goof because he did blink once, I remember. And then you get the final battle where she's forcing the lady out of you pick me or your ex husband. And you know you see the you see the end. I don't wanna ruin the ended moment for you, but all in all, um this is a really good enjoyable movie. It's not fast paced. I don't expect to see shitloads of blood and gold flying around and stuff. I mean, so this remember this movie's built more on character. I would say of the actor Patrick and the female and the characters around the female who interacts with her and the character who interacts with Patrick too. It's mostly more like character development I would say in a way in my opinion. So but then maybe it builds up towards the end, it builds up towards certain scenes. Uh soundtrack definitely works out. The environment is simple but does play out really well. Um awesome movie Patrick. I'll try to see this, the first movie. If you want to see the sequel to this, which is not the true sequel to Patrick, because it's more like an Italian exploitation of, of the Patrick movie, but they call it Patrick Still Lens, and pretty much they have like an actor who's also in a coma, still state, but it's like movie contains more nudity, and it does have kill scenes too in the in Patrick Still Lens, but it's not, like I said, it's not really a sequel, it's just like pretty much exploitation on the, the original Patrick. And next should be your be more of the remake is flipping right now. So like I said, I can't wait to see the remake for this movie. I'm looking forward to it. 
and I don't know if it's a double count though, or will it be like a battle of the gold? Because you know how today's audience are, you know, with when it comes to remakes, you know, when they keep the time. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, guys, peace and see you. Alright guys, it's time to talk about Oka the Killer Whale. I remember growing up with this movie, thinking it would be the next Jaws, and I'm like, I don't think so. But, 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 I did enjoy this movie. I know there's a lot of haters for it, but at the same time, come on guys, it's a killer whale. I like tentacle, that stupid killer octopus. Oka to me, I think it stood on its own. It wasn't as scary as Jaws, because Jaws was fucking scary. I was scared to go in the water. Orca was like a revenge story. It's like a modern day take on Moby Dick. Pretty obvious. And it's about this captain and his crew. They killed this whale, this female whale, and she was pregnant with a whale baby. And the and the whale, female whale and the baby died. But behind the sea, the kill, male killer whale saw all this, and he wants his fucking revenge. Yes, a killer whale wants revenge, I kid you not. As he attacks the boating community, the fishing village community, um, he kills a few people, pretty much. He kills the captain's woman, and then it comes to a pressure that the captain has no choice but to get revenge, like he wants revenge now. So with the help of him, two other guys on the boat, and this female goes on on the boating trip. Oh yeah, and an Indian, by the way, to, to, um, to look for Orca because the captain has to get his revenge. He kills his woman. He's getting tired of, of Orca, like harassing him. You know, he's like in the water harassing him. He believes that shit, but he's on the fucking land. And he lives in a, you know, the captain's funny. He lives in a house, right, where he's right on the fucking water. Like, who lives in that house with, with the pillows with the water? That's the worst place to live at. Because you got like hurricanes and tsunamis and shit like that. Who, why would you want to live over there like that? Come on, still right in the middle of the fucking land or something. You know, they, I mean, this movie has some stupid moments, I admit, but. Besides that, I did enjoy this movie a lot. It was, to me, enjoyable. Not the greatest, but it was enjoyable to watch, okay? Good, like, enjoyable. So, anyway, so the captain gave into the pressure. There was, oh, there was one scene with Orca, blew up a power plant. You believe this shit? I killed away, blew up a power plant. Like, that's how it tells you this fucking way it was. It's like, I'm fucking this whole community. I don't want this guy. Get him out of the fucking ocean. You know? You kill my woman, you kill my kid. About to be born. Orca was no fucking joke. Anyway, like I said, the captain and his crew goes on the boat, go after Orca. Orca's killing a few of the crew members one by one, like that. It was like a fucking slash. It was like a fucking Jason moment now. You know? And then Orca's like flapping his tail, telling the captain, follow me. And it's pretty Orca was smart. He leads him to where all the ice is at, where the ice boogie is, the coldest part of the ocean. And pretty much they stuck. And Orca was pulling the ice bug, hit the boat. And the captain said, I want a fair fight. Now, this is one of the stupid moments. Listen, you're in Orca's territory. You're in the fucking ocean. There ain't no fair fight. You gotta play dirty. But Orca played dirty, too. He killed your woman. He blew up your power plant. He's calling you out. That wasn't no fair fight. He played dirty. So the captain said, I want a fair fight. I'm not gonna use my gun. I'm gonna use the spear. You know, I'm gonna use my spear. Fucking idiot. You, you know, Orca comes out. Cause he threw the spear at Orca, got him. Orca was still alive anyway. 
And then when Orca attacks the boat, the Indian got got killed by the avalanche of the ice. The woman and the guy, the captain, of course, went on the iceberg. And Orca's going after the captain. I guess what the captain decided to use the fucking gun. Now you want to use the fucking gun? What happened to a fair fight before that? You should have used the gun before before that. But anyway, here goes another stupid move. When he had a chance to kill Orca again, when he had a chance, Orca got him out in the iceboat, like a, like a separate iceboat crack, one-on-one -on -one this time. It's Orca and Iceboat while the ladies on the big iceboat watching all this going on. He has a gun. Orca's out in the open. The guy can shot Orca right there. Nope, he didn't shot him. Wasting bullets for nothing. He, he Orca got him pull up the iceberg. The guy fell in the ocean. Orca is it like the guy? I think the guy grabbed Orca by his tail. Orca just like flapping him like, pew, and his body went straight to the iceberg, and the captain is dead. As for the woman, Orca's looking at the woman with his angry eyes, and Orca just left. And the woman saw the helicopter, which means ready to save her. Anyway, that's Orca the Killer Whale. Enjoyable movie, stupid moments, yes. But you know what? It's one of those moments where you can laugh it off. But then you think of Jaws, and Jaws be like comedy, not even a drama, not even a horror, not even a thriller. Comedy. Jaws the Shark is like watching this shit right now. He's like, comedy. LOL. Comedy moment. Too much comedy moments. And people say that Killer Wake could take out a shark too, by the way. So now, between the two movies, who do you think will win? Orca or Jaws? Movie-wise, Jaws won. Between the two, Jaws is a pretty big-ass shark, so Orca, I'm sorry, I think Jaws will, Jaws will eat you up. He will eat your whole body, because he's a whole fucking car, too. Anyway, peace, guys, and see you here. Finally, 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 the long wait. I get to talk about the movie Lady Hawk to video blogging on YouTube. Man, I I got the DVD. It was it was really pricey to get this on DVD or Blu-ray, so I saw it online, and um, man, so many childhood memories, man. I, I knew I loved this movie when I was young, and seeing it again, the old man that I am, <laughs> I still love it. And yeah, I did cry, and I did cry the second time too. Okay, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Man, this was my fucking Twilight. Fuck it. Fuck it. This was my Twilight movie right here. I mean, it was one movie, though, but... You, Hollywood, you cannot remake this movie. There is no way in hell Hollywood cannot remake Lady Hawk right here. We point it right way. Right way, right here. Hollywood, you cannot remake this movie. The chemistry with Michelle Pfeiffer and Rock Nahawa works. The chemistry with all, with all these characters and actors in this movie and actresses and the environment, the music. If you know, even the music was good for this movie, if you like Hawk the Slayer, then the soundtrack for it, then you would definitely love the soundtrack for Lady Hawk. And it worked, it was well balanced, surprisingly. Usually when you see warrior movies or fantasy movies, you expect like like warrior type of music. I mean it did have warrior type of music, but there was some soundtracks in this movie it had like Kind of like a pop new wave type of music beat in the background, but it, it worked. It actually works in this fucking movie, believe it or not. Um, maybe when I first saw this one as a kid, I was expecting more like a Conan Barbarian type of movie, 
but then I ate up to it, you know, it's like, wow, it may not be like Conan-like, but it was good. And, okay, let's get to the point, I'm sorry. Uh, Matthew Broderick, yes, Matthew Broderick, he played a prisoner, like, he escaped from this prison church, like, you know, there's a church, but they also hold prisoners, too. And he was one of them supposed to be executed, he escapes, and he was like the only prisoner that ever escaped this church prison, you know. So the knights had to go after him. But and when the knights found out where he was at, they were about to kill him. And then this other knight that used to be a knight for the church, the cat, they call him. He was like the ex-captain played by Ruffnhauer, saved him and bowed the other knights out, you know. And um, he said to take Mouse in because he had his own objective that since he escaped the church, he wants him to get him, get inside the church, show him how to be a guy, like get inside the church also, because he cannot get inside. It was so barricade like so guarded, well guarded. So Mouse was the only one that ever did, so that's why Ruckner's House character needs him. But then it came so comes with a twist. Because Ruckner House character and his falcon, his his bird, has has a little mystery behind it that in the daytime the bird actually turns into a woman. I mean excuse me. Let me rephrase that. The night at nighttime the bird turns into a woman while the daytime the woman turns into the bird. And at nighttime, Rock the House character turns into a wolf, and in daytime, he turns into a human. And it was a curse because of the bishop of the church. He cursed them because he cannot get he can he cannot get the love that he, of the woman Michelle Five. The Michelle Five's character doesn't love the bishop. She loves the knight, which is played by Cap I mean Rock the House. Excuse me, who was the ex captain for the church at the time. And Rock House character, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, both was in love, madly in love, but the bishop got very jealous of them. And he he said, like, pretty much the story wise, when the priest was telling Matthew Bonner's character about the story that the bishop made the deal, pretty much he made the deal with the devil, like, evil, he used black magic, the devil to curse them, like, no, if he cannot have her, then no man will not have her. So, that was the curse, you know? And, um,. It's it's like the it's like so well done. While there was a battle scene when um when House Count was battling the other knights and the arrows shoot the eagle. I mean the falcon, excuse me, which is Michelle Pfeiffer's, um, which she, which she was the falcon, excuse me, and then that's when Nathbar took the bird to the priest, right, and that's when that's when he sat telling the story about who who she is and who he is and stuff like that. But it, this whole movie was good, man. This, this, oh my god! And then later on, when when it's time to come, that um, the the house kind of the cat. Uh, I can't say I can't say that it was Neville they call him in the movie. I hope I'm saying it right. And um, and the woman and woman, the woman Falcon, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she was called Isabel or Isabel. Hope I'm saying her name right too. They um, gotta go to the church, right, and break the curse. Not only to break the curse, it's like pretty obvious the solar eclipse, where there's no no day and night, where both of them become human, you know, to break the curse. Well, the house character did not believe in it, you know, but I like how Matthew Broderick got playing with the words, saying that this is what she said, this is what he said. So like, it keeps them to both alive, like, to keep on believing in each other, you know. Excuse my bumping. And, um, you know, you get to the final battle when. When the house character is going to church, bound the knights, going after the priest, and you get that awesome ending when Michelle Pfeiffer shows up, and then you see the emotion between the house character and 
shall fight for his character. And even the evil bishop, the evil priest, like who plays because he had emotion because he was he was too embarrassed. Like I can't believe this shit happened. No, you know, like he had that kind of look, you know. And then Matthew Broderick started crying. His character, um, mouse, and the old and old priest preacher, he started crying too. You know, like they were all emotional and stuff. Even at the beginning of the movie when they're trying to like, hopefully you can see each other day and night before they before they transform when they're about to transform you know like in the snow scene for example um this movie is just fucking awesome god it's awesome this is actually probably like maybe the fourth or fifth time i've seen it but i say the second time because when i saw it like a few times that's when i was a kid you know so it's been a while the second time this is officially the second time because it's been a long time you know so to this day I still like it. You know, I knew I liked this movie. Um guys, again, gals, if you have not seen Lady Hawk, try your best to rent it or go online and check it out. Um there's ways of seeing it online. Um Lady Hawk is a must, must. I'm gonna try and get the Blu-ray for a cheap price. Hopefully one day I will get that in my collection officially. Um again, Hollywood, let me just say it one more time, you cannot remake Lady Hawk. Not even in your best day. This movie's the best. I mean, please, Hollywood, you, you can't touch the romance between Buckner Howells. Oh, yeah, you want to see Buckner Howells at his finest? This is one of his movies, by the way. At his finest. He had a lot of movies at his finest. The older, the newer movies he's doing now, you know, you've been a veteran long enough, you know, like, hey, give me the money. I do what I gotta do. Like, he, he could be Dracula 3D with Dario Argentino. I don't know. I, I didn't like the trails for that movie, to be honest with you, but hey, Buckner Howells, his chemistry. Anything way with how it makes it work, you know, if his presence alone would be good enough by me, you know. So, yeah, still an icon, Rocky Howell, without a doubt. I mean, he got a slew of movies, a lot of memorable movies, without a doubt. Lady Hawk was one of them. And uh, I also recommend check out Princess Bride, too, you know. It's another good romantic fantasy type of movie. Um, guys, peace, and see you later. <laughs> Guys, so we talk about the movie It. This is definitely something I grew up with, and I definitely wanted all my own DVD copies. It took a while though. Um, this is a double-sided disc. It's part one and part two when you turn around the disc, so it's actually two parts. And I remember growing up with this movie. It was a two-parter. I think it was on Channel Seven ABC. They played this, and I remember seeing the trailers and everybody in my school. This was like the talk about movie in my school, and when when they aired on TV, we was like. And then the next day we got back to school, we got to see part two, and we were like, it's, it was the shit. This is like one of the scariest clowns and clown, clown, clown horror generic movies. See, I'm stuttering. I feel like the lead character. <laughs> and the movie is about this clown pretty much killing kids. And plus, you have these kids that they, they knew something strange going around the town, and they have to like go battle to fight this clown, you know, while battling their own fears. And like each of them have their own experiences with the clown, you know, and um, and what goes around the town with the bullies and stuff, you know, with the bull against the bullies too, and each of the kids like, and it's that when the kids end up defeating the clown, like this part one, it talks it about how you see these how they grew up, and they made this promise, if this clown comes back, they will return to defeat the clown once more, and um, the the black guy who stayed in the town start calling them. Call his friends one by one, like, look, it's bad. I need you to come back to the town and help me defeat this clown, pretty much. And um, 
and each of the kids kind of grew up, had successful, but they also had like the drama issues too. And then part one was, it was more of the flashback story among the children, how they grew up around the town and what they experienced. And then you got to the end, and then one of the kids that grew up ended up killing themselves because he can't handle it no more, you know. And then you get a part two, which all the all the grown ups finally go to the town where they grew up at, visit their friend, you know, go talk about good times, but also talk about why why we back, help us remember, you know, and um, you know, and then the clowns stop, and plus. In part two, you also have have the flashback story when when they were kids. Also, explain a little bit more of what happened. You know, even after defeating the clown as Stan, who killed himself in the first part of the movie, who grew up killed himself suicide. Um, there was a situation with Stan when he went into this haunted, this like this haunted like house, and he saw the clown came back to life, but since then he was all burnt up with bandages, bandages and stuff. Um, it was really, it was a really cool movie though, and then how he was on the run. So it was kind of like you have a little bit more story in part two, you know, with the, with the flashbacks. But it's mostly when they grew up, when they got older. Now, now we got to when they got older, part two, and you know, they start talking about like, okay, how are we gonna defeat this clown again? While the clowns more feel them, even when they're older, one by one, or even in groups. Um, I don't want to ruin any more any moments who have not seen this movie. We we old people we know about this, but we grew up around this shit. This this movie was no joke. This was a good TV horror movie, and it's one it's one of the good TV horror movies. There've been TV horror movies in television anyway, from the past before this one, and there's some after after this one, but they're not as good as this one. Or I think the last good TV horror movie I actually liked it was Salem Lot remake with Rob Lowe, and it was actually good by the way. Believe it or not, it was on TBS. I think Howard played the Dracula, not Dracula, but the Vampire Leader, if I'm corrected. But anyway, the point is, we're talking about it. But it was interesting how, when they grown up, um, the bully from the first part of the movie, when his hair was all white, he kind of grew up, but he's in a mental hospital, and the clown helped him escape, because the clown wanted him to get his, kill him one by one, because the grown-ups, the survivors from the last, first part of the movie, right, the first part of the story, survived against the clown. So the clown was using the bu first the bully to um, help him try to kill him one by one, but he failed. But he injured the the black guy who put the group together for them to come back. So the black guy was in the hospital while the rest of them decided, okay, you know what, we're gonna do it. We're gonna stop this clown. I'm gonna run back to the sewer. They had to defeat the clown in this, in this physical form. <coughs> but plus, also the clown also kidnapped one of kidnapped one of the grown-up's wife, you know, the leader, you know, wife, and, um, while they're gonna defeat Clown, when they got into this little doorway, doorway, excuse me, into a large cave, and you see this giant spider pit, so what, what this movie's trying to tell you is that all this time, this fucking clown, his true form was the giant spider, and all that, remember, if you see the first part of the movie, the second and I put on the second part, they could talk about deadlight. Like, that was actually the spider's stomach, the deadlight, the lights. And um, Beverly, the woman, used the silver thing that he, she used in the first part, of the, first part of the movie. In the second chapter of the movie, she used the silver bullet to hit, to hit the um, silver um, pellets, like the bullet-like type pellets. 
into the spider's chest, and then the spider ended up running. But the spider um, killed one of the kids that grew up. Um, the one who was asthmatic. He he, um, he just dropped dropped the guy. And he just died, you know. So the rest of them went after the spider just to end it, you know. And they pretty much punched him in the stomach and just rip out his heart, I guess, <laughs> you know. And um, the lead the lead character, the hero with the glasses, um, took his wife out. She had, was like in a comatose state. So he put he at the end of the movie. Um, the black guys are doing narrations are saying that how um, the guy who's fat, who's good looking enough, played with John Ritter and Beverly, they they decided to be together. They ended up having a kid, story wise. Um, Harry Anderson character, the comedian kid who grew up to become a comedian actor, doing a, doing another movie. Um, the guy, the black guy, saying you know, supposed to go out of time, explore his horizon, pretty much, and the guy. He took his wife into the, his bike, silver bicycle, and he ride it faster, and so his wife could wake up. You know, like supposed to give her like memories or something. I don't know, man. It was just like, you know, for I guess give her some fresh air, I guess. So his wife came out with that comatose state. But um, all in all, this movie was good, man. Acting, story, um, everything about this movie was excellent, man. It's just it's no comparison, you know. And um, I'm I should pick up the book because I want to read the book. I never had a chance to read the book, but since I have some spare time now, I'm definitely gonna pick up the book for this. It, and I'm also gonna pick up it for Salem Lot since I just mentioned that movie too. And um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of a lot of moments in this movie with the flashbacks. Um, there's more I didn't talk say too much about because I don't want to spoil the moment. But I'll say a lot of a lot of my scene. There's a lot of famous scenes in this movie I like. Um, the the ones I like the most is probably. The library scene in part two of the story, and also the fortune cookie scene in part two of the story. As for the first part, I pretty much like the flashback when they were kids and how they experienced what, how they had enjoyed themselves in the town. But also there was that bad obstacles like those bullies they got to face and how they came together. Like you know, we we strong as one. You know, they bonded as one, but they're close as friends like that. And they were able to battle battle the bullies by working together, and um, the strong friendship they have in this movie is what I like about this movie the most too. Um, yeah, it definitely pick it up. I mean, if you if you grew up with back in the days growing up, it's a lot of memories. If you're new to this, definitely pick up the DVD. It's not it's the not rated version, so it's kind of awesome. Anyway, peace guys, and see you later.